This episode is produced with support from DBT Wellcome Trust India Alliance. Welcome to the Nature India podcast. I'm your host, Shubhra Priyadarshini. You've probably heard it said that you're either right-brain dominant or left-brained. You're either visual, intuitive and creative or led by math and logic. Now, any neuroscientist will tell you that that's a myth. Just as the two hemispheres of our brain communicate with each other for optimal functioning, science and art are both improved when they work together. This episode, we take a look at science-art collaborations where both artists and scientists challenge their ways of thinking as well as the process of artistic and scientific inquiry. It's a novel intersection that offers limitless possibilities. Now, here are just three instances where you'll see that in action. There are uh, two semi-circular electrodes in the vacuum chamber of the cyclotron. Uh, which, uh, so to speak, move up and down in potential. Here uh, we have two plates that move up and down in potential, and uh, we'll start it off. That's an archival clip of Ernest Lawrence, who built the very first cyclotron or particle accelerator in 1936 in Berkeley, California. It's from a remarkable science documentary called Cyclotron, directed by filmmaker John V. Falke. It is during my research and interviewing various scientists and technicians and lab assistants that I learned that we have the world's oldest functional particle accelerator, a cyclotron, in India. This is something that was not known even to many physicists in India. Of course, experimental nuclear physicists knew, but many actually did not. Janavi's documentary tells the tale of how the world's oldest functional particle accelerator ended up in the Department of Physics in Punjab University, Chandigarh, where it has been running for nearly 50 years. The film is also a comment on uh, the state of experimental research and higher education in Indian universities. Contemporary history in India is difficult to write. And so is contemporary history of science in India difficult to write because we do not have, broadly speaking, a collections policy. We do not have proper archiving policies and we do not even have institutional archives. Many institutions are waking up now, say 50, 60 years into their existence to create their archives in order to understand, as I said earlier, decisions that they took in the past and how those decisions play out today. It's true that while India has made so many significant advances in science since independence, its science archives and oral history records are patchy. The practice of archiving has long been considered just something historians bother with, not scientists, who are perhaps so busy looking towards the future that they might risk disregarding the past. As a historian of science, Janvi Falke is trying to change that. 
archives are the evidence on which history gets written, or archives provide the evidence on which history gets written in order to help us understand why what happened really did and why what happened matters. Systematically, archiving documentation is therefore critical, not only for the functioning of the present, but also in order to take better decisions going forward. Increasingly, institutions are realizing the importance of this and they're beginning to establish institutional archives. There are also efforts to put oral histories in place. Now, that's great to hear. For her part, uh, Janvi is working on a very cool crowdsourced project called Recollect, where anyone who wants to help build India's scientific archives can interview scientists and record their recollections. Now, we switch tracks to magic that happens when the world of science and music collide. There's a long history of scientists who were also accomplished musicians. Just think of Max Planck or Albert Einstein or our very own Abdul Kalam. Let's hear now from another such scientist, Devojyoti Chakraborty. Uh, my name is Devojyoti Chakraborty. I work as a scientist at CSIR Institute of Genomics and Integrative Biology in New Delhi. Uh, my broad area of work actually uh, uh, encompasses genome editing, both for therapeutic applications as well as for uh, disease diagnostics. But aside from science, I am also very keenly interested uh, in Indian classical music. I have been trained in the sitar and have um, also been performing widely in India and abroad for a long period of time. There he is performing Rag Bhairavi, known as the king of morning ragas. As a performing sitarist, uh, Devojyoti has found throughout his career that while music and science are different, they are also very similar on some level and spending time on one skill can actually enhance the other. Music naturally is giving you a sense of creativity and in science, creativity has to be there because you need to be creative to design experiments, uh, breaking away from paths. You need to be creative enough to solve things uh, in an analytical manner uh, and not just be following the specific methods, uh, methodologies and so on. But I would like to point out something more um, important here is that for serious musicians, uh, particularly for instrumentalists, I believe, uh, it is very important uh, to practice uh, on certain types of, uh, let's say, notations or certain types of compositions in order to get better and better in music. And research has shown that if you keep on in a loop, uh, practice the same thing over and over again, then it actually helps your mental faculties to uh, really have a better, better grip on our ability to remember, our ability to analytically solve problems and so on. And these are essentially the forte that scientists rely upon in their day-to-day -day work. Interestingly, Devojyoti has found that this Science art collaboration has also lent itself to international collaborations with his peers between East and West. 
So my uh, actual PhD in Dresden was, of course, different. My work in uh, molecular biology uh, was more towards understanding the role played by non-coding RNAs in, in the developing cell, uh, from particularly in embryonic stem cells. Uh, of course, at the same time, because of the proximity to the other uh, scientists uh, whom I mentioned at the mathematics uh, faculty at the TU Dresden, uh, who were also interested in, in music and North Indian music per se, we got a chance uh, to do this in parallel. And I was actually a, a, a guest scientist or a guest researcher uh, who was working on the mathematical modeling of Indian music at UD. Of course, there are some very big differences between the interpretation of Eastern and Western classical music, not just the system of notation, but the way that the patterns of ragas actually convey different moods is something very unique about the Indian format of music. The mathematical modeling of ragas is not something uh, very novel uh, in the context of Indian classical music. There has been previous attempts um, trying to find a reason why different ragas are grouped together under certain types of headings, which are mostly what we call as thought in North Indian classical music or scales. So when I was back in Dresden, the Mathematical Institute uh, there, or uh, basically the Department of Mathematics from Technical University of Dresden, they decided to pursue this by uh, uh, finding out models uh, or basically trying to develop models by which we could explain why certain types of uh, ragas are grouped together, why they happen to be uh, in the scale in which they are chosen. Can there be any mathematical model to predict that? A priori uh, was what they wanted to do. And in such a case, we would have sessions where I would be playing these individual ragas uh, uh, to mathematicians, to modelers, and they would try to be fitting this into specific patterns or uh, specific types of equations to find out if uh, there is a possibility of connecting Fascinating, isn't it? From the world of science and music, we now travel to Montpellier in France to learn more from another Indian scientist about the interconnection between science and theatre. My name is Prabhuhan Chakraborty. I am presently in Montpellier, France, um, where I'm currently pursuing postdoctoral research in understanding social behaviors in certain neuropsychiatric conditions of uh, in animal models. Another side of my identity, as I think of it, is my training in theater. So I have uh, I have been trained in theater for about ten years. Prabhuhan shared with us that theater has taught him the importance of storytelling, even in science. And vice versa, of course. Theatre can be a tool to help communicate complex scientific ideas to a lay audience. He shared an example from a few years ago when he produced a short musical about an unfortunate encounter between a tiger and a child. When the show was over, members of the audience came to discuss nuanced ecological terms such as habitat loss and human accountability for these ecosystem crises that they had never stated even once in the play. 
somebody else told me you know there's something called man animal conflict human animal conflict right where you know these uh, you would see these reports of you know elephants coming into farmers lands and we hear these things like you know these uh, rhinos in guwahati walking through streets because we are sort of encroaching on forest land and we are sort of eating up their spaces and so and that kind of a space they what they do is they sort of you know beat the elephants they you know they sometimes they kill there are these in bangalore there are news of leopards coming into schools like and this person sort of completely sort of you know she she found an immediate similarity to that situation and she's like oh my god i never thought about it it's interesting how in situations where we least expect it whether at a sitar performance or at a play people can learn more about the connections that scientists are making in a lab or out in the field and scientists themselves become more aware of how the two fields are inextricably linked for instance when a neuroscientist experiences stage fright okay so imagine this i am waiting in the wings uh the introduction sort of the music is sort of fading in there are lights on the stage the curtains are slowly going up and then it's at this point where i kind of take my first step onto the stage now while i'm in the wings or rather in the safety of the wings i'm still myself but as soon as i step into that space with these blaring lights and 500 pairs of eyes looking at me i'm someone else i'm not that same person what we know now is that the glucocorticoids kind of go and shut down the responses of the hypothalamus which then shut down the pituitary and so on and so forth and then the homeostatic equilibrium kind of the, the balance of the body is kind of reestablished Probohon with his experience in theater knows well how to overcome that fight flight or freeze response we all have felt listen to how one time when he had to present his science at a conference and speak about the impact of stress on the hippocampus and amygdala he found a way to share it with his peers in a very memorable way The hippocampus is the place where you store your memories and keep them safe. You can remember a place and remember a face and remember everything until you're stressed. Then you forget things, things that you knew, like what to say in an interview, names, numbers, and things, people, and address. The hippocampus shrinks; it functions less due to stress. so this is one i think they they loved it i mean this part because my my because i was giving a presentation i sort of said it you know yeah you forget things useful information and then i paused and then i say the, like the lyrics in a presentation and they started laughing so you know so yeah so yeah now that's definitely a memorable way to convey the science maybe i should try something like that the next time i present to my peers as probohan and debojyoti show scientists who embrace the artistic medium can infuse new ideas into their scientific works we learn from janvi how the humanities can hold a mirror to science so do artistic practices inform science of course and does science inform art yes absolutely we are at the best when we use our left brain and our right brain together after all If you like this episode, 
check out our archives of the nature india podcast in hindi and english and share it with your friends and colleagues we'll be back soon with another insightful episode on science in india in hindi and english i'm shubhra priyadarshini and this is the nature india podcast thanks to the dbt welcome trust india alliance for their support in producing this episode 